0: Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, and I appreciate the opportunity again to be here with you all and to share some things that the Lord has brought to my attention from His Word, and I trust it will be a blessing to you. We certainly have enjoyed the fellowship this week and getting to know many of you on a, on a personal basis, it's an encouragement to us, and I'll just say that as a a pastor of a church that supports your missionary it's encouraging to come here and to meet many of you and to be able to understand some of why uh, Brother Francis is the way that he is, and uh, <laughs> you can all laugh at that all right <laughs> but uh, you know honestly we we appreciate Brother Francis very much, and he is very similar in his personality to one of our missionaries that is in Thailand, Brother Nat Williams. And they have a lot of similarities between them, which is interesting. And, of course, they're both kind of in the same corner of the world. But uh, we enjoyed uh, getting to know the Francis family while they were with us. And, and certainly, we appreciate the opportunity to partner together with you in supporting them on the field. And it's a great blessing uh, to be a part of that with you. Uh, we want to look at Mark chapter 6 tonight. And I want to speak a little bit this evening about the method that the Lord used in discipling men. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are a wealth of information about how to invest your life in others. And we did a study some years ago uh, when my dad was still pastoring there at Lehigh Valley. Uh, He worked through the four Gospels and those of us men who were Uh, Working with him in the ministry and other men who are training for the ministry helped in that study. And we just worked our way through the four Gospels, looking at all the different principles that are found concerning discipleship in those four Gospels. And a really fascinating study. But it's interesting how the Lord interacted with his disciples. And of course, uh, he dealt with them differently at different seasons of his ministry. I mentioned to you last night that one of the things that came out of that study that we observed very clearly was that Christ was constantly exposing his disciples to cross-cultural ministry. He was constantly taking them outside of the place that they were comfortable, and he was confronting them with situations that involved people from other cultures that made them very uncomfortable, kind of like we talked about last night. Now tonight we want to look at the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples. And here in the context of Mark chapter 6 is where Jesus calls the twelve to him and he empowers them and he sends them forth two by two and he gives them some instructions. And there's some things that we're going to learn from this tonight as we look at the methods that the Lord Jesus used in dealing with his disciples. Up to this point in Mark chapter 6, the disciples had mainly been observers. They had been following Jesus, and they had been watching Jesus, if we want to say it this way, do ministry. And now Jesus is is saying to them, okay guys, now it's your turn. And at this point, Jesus is not even going to be going along with them. He is going to send them forth two by two, and they are going to go for a Period of time, and they are going to preach the gospel, and they are going to be involved in ministry in people's lives. So, Jesus is preparing them for that mission that He is giving to them. Now, what we know as we look at Mark chapter 6, and what the disciples have not yet understood, is that it's really not that far in the future before Jesus is going to die on the cross, and then He's going to send back to heaven after 40 days after His resurrection, and the disciples are going to be completely on their own in the sense that Jesus will no longer bodily be with them. They will be completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit and reliant upon the Comforter to guide them into all truth at that time. What we notice in Mark chapter 6 is this. This is an overriding theme. Real followers of Jesus Christ, true disciples, are always on mission with the gospel. The first two letters of the word gospel are what? Go. G-O. Go. Isn't that interesting? The good news, the gospel requires us to go. And one thing that we find about true disciples is they are involved in going with the gospel. A couple years ago, our theme at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church was going with the gospel. Because I wanted to encourage our people, let's get out into the world with the gospel. Let's not... It's it's great to talk about the gospel here when we're together and to encourage one another with the gospel. And if some people come in, they can hear the gospel. That's wonderful. But the, the main need for the gospel is out there. We need to be going with the gospel. And so as we look at this passage tonight, we're going to start in verse number 7. We're going to read a few verses. Then we're going to skip down towards the end of the chapter We want to see some lessons about this mission of ministry. Mark chapter 6, look at verse number 7. The Bible says, "...he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats." And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart then, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. There's that word again. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Now, fast forward in your Bibles down towards the end of the chapter to verse number 30. And there's a little parenthetical section that fits in there between verse 14 and verse 29. But in verse 30 now, they come back from their mission trip. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest awhile, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. So let's think for a little while tonight about this text and about the mission that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that there were some restrictions that Jesus placed on this mission. There were some boundaries that the Lord Jesus put around this mission. It's important for us to understand what our mission is about and what our mission is not about. Because you might have noticed it's easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy for us to get off in, involved in things that are not really the mission there's a couple things that he puts as restrictions on this mission. And, of course, they're going to go and they're going to preach. But we notice there in verse number 7, he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two. The first restriction that I want to point out to you is the restriction of partnership. Partnership. It's a very clear principle in Scripture that God often works through people who are partnering together. There's a a very interesting study in the New Testament about how often there are partnerships in ministry, people who are working together. The Apostle Paul often referred to his fellow laborers. He referred to those who who worked alongside him. We could probably name some of those men, but those partnerships were important. See, what the Apostle Paul accomplished in his ministry was not merely his work, but it was the work of a team of men that was working together. There is a partnership. Jesus called these men, and he says, I'm going to send you forth, but I'm not sending you out there by yourself. I'm sending you forth by two and two. Now, a couple things about this partnership that I want to point out to you. The men that Jesus called, who he's going to send forth by two and two, are men who are already in partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Are they not? They are followers of Jesus Christ. The primary partnership in the work of the ministry is the partnership of the believer with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a a dependence, if you will, upon the power of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has called them to be followers of himself, and now he is sending them forth, and they are going, you'll find, in his authority. They are going with his blessing. They are going, as it were, in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, representing him. So there's a partnership between each of these men and the Lord Jesus Christ, but then there is also the truth that there is a value here of having two and two. So they not only are in partnership and representing the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is a partnership between two men and two men, and obviously six teams because there were 12. And we think about that principle tonight. To be honest with you, and I'll I'll just use the illustration of traveling. Um, about two weeks ago, my grandfather passed away in Missouri. And uh, we knew, you know, he was, he was sick. We weren't expecting him to die. He was up in years. He was 92, and, uh, or he would have been 92 in August. And so uh, he lived a long life, and we were thankful for his testimony. But he died, and, of course, the funeral was going to take place down in Springfield, Missouri. And so I decided that I was going to go out for the funeral And as you can imagine, some people said, are you taking your family? And I said, no, it's a 17 hour drive one way. And so we left. My brother actually went with me and we drove. uh, We left on early on a Wednesday morning, very early, 5 a.m. And we drove straight through 17 hours. We stopped to get gas and to grab a bite to eat one time and to use the restroom if necessary. And so we just we went straight out there. We had the funeral the next day. And after the funeral, we spent time with my family, and at 9.30 that night, we got back in the car, and we drove straight back 17 hours, and that's why I didn't take my family. Because when I travel, when I travel like that, if I'm by myself or maybe with my brother, I can make really good time. But if I bring this lovely family that I have, we don't make quite as good of time. In fact, it's funny, and my my wife, you know, I'll have the GPS sitting there, and we'll, we'll stop to go to the bathroom again. And I'll just watch the GPS ticking off time. Wait, I got to go to the bathroom. Wait, I got to get this. Can, I got to get this out of the car. You know what I found is traveling with my family takes more time. But you know, there's also something about traveling with my family. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more enjoyable. I've spent... Before I got married, I spent a lot of time traveling all by myself. There's not much fun about it. I remember years ago, I was out at uh, wherever Custer's Last Stand is out in Wyoming, and I I thought, man, I've always wanted to see this. I was traveling all alone. And I pulled off, and I got there, and I walked around, and I went and stood on the hill, and I looked at it, and I said, man, that's nice, isn't it? Yep, that's nice. Okay. I saw it. (laughs) I was there for about 30 minutes, went and got back in the car and left, because why? Well, there wasn't anybody to share it with. It wasn't, all, it wasn't all that exciting because I was there by myself. It's a, lot more, it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more enjoyable when I travel with my family. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Why are you, why are you using this illustration? Sometimes we think about the work of the ministry, and we say, well, if it's just me, and I don't have to wait on anybody else, I could get so much more done. I could just hurry up and get things done. Well, that might be the case, but it's a lot more enjoyable when we work together. It's definitely a lot more messy. It's maybe more inconvenient. You might have to wait on somebody else who's who's doing some other things, and maybe they're not going as fast as you, but there's a definite enjoyment in that partnership. You know, God did not call any of us to do the work of the Lord like a lone ranger. God called us to do the, the work of the ministry together. That's why God has placed you in a New Testament church, because... We do the work of the Lord in our churches, and there's three different churches represented here tonight that I know of. We do the work of the Lord in our churches together as a team. There there at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, I have several men who serve with me full-time in the ministry, and then we've got members of the church, and we work together in the work of the Lord. We're a team. I can't do that myself. We have to work together. There's a need for partnership. You're familiar with Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, which says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, partnership is important. Partnership gives us strength. A partnership encourages us. Now, it is true that sometimes working together can have its own set of difficulties as well. As we work through the fact that we each have a flesh. And we don't always do the things that God would have us to do. And we don't always treat one another the way that we ought to treat one another. You know, that's part of the sanctification process, isn't it? God uses that partnership to sanctify us. There's an Old Testament principle, and Jesus, I believe, was giving, uh, was giving an acknowledgment to this when he commissioned these men and he sent them two by two. That Old Testament principle said that if there is something that is testified about, there should be at least two and possibly three different witnesses. If it's just one person who's giving testimony to that, then you don't need to believe that testimony. There needs to be at least two witnesses. And there seems to be a reason why Jesus said, I want you to go two by two. What a joy it is to go together and to be part of a church family that is going with the gospel. I've mentioned a little bit in the last couple days about an outreach that we've been involved in There at our church, God has really put upon our heart the downtown area, which is about 10 miles from where our church campus is located, where we meet for our services. And there's a great need in the downtown area. It's only 10 miles away, but the people who live down there never come to our part of town. They didn't hardly even know that it exists. In fact, when we tell people where we're from, they say, where is that? I've never been over there. Where, where? Can you describe where that is? So we go down there together as a team, and we have a group of people that meets down there during the week uh, in the summertime when the weather is good. And we walk the streets, and we talk to people on their porches, and we share the gospel with them. And some of our men set up a speaker in one of the parks, and they, they preach in the open air And they translate it into Spanish, and we're reaching out into that community and just praying. Here's what we're really praying is that God would allow us to start a church down there. And so we're down there evangelizing, but see, our people are working together. There's a group of people that are a team in that. That partnership is so important. In the work of the ministry, we need to be busy working together, encouraging one another, strengthening one another in the work that God has called us to do. This is a great joy to us when we are able to work together and partner in the work of the ministry. So there is a restriction of partnership. Jesus did not expect these men to go by themselves. He expected them to go together. There is also a restriction that is found here of dependence, however. See, he wanted them to go together as partners, but he also wanted them to go with a dependent attitude. It's described here In these verses, he says there in verse number 8, he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only. Now, notice the list. He's very specific. No scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. Now, I'm going to point out, Jesus did not always send his disciples in this manner but I believe that he is teaching his disciples a very clear principle. When you go on a trip, how do you go on a trip? We're on a trip right now. I don't even know how we got everything into our van that we needed to bring on this trip. When we go on a trip, we think before we leave, we make this long list of all the things that we need to bring, and then we think, now, how many meals are we going to eat while we're on the road, and can we go to Costco and buy everything ahead of time and get it all packed and in a cooler so that while we're traveling, we can save some money and not eat out, and we're going to do the best that we can. But you know what? That takes up a lot of room. Man, I don't want to get somewhere out on the road, though, and be hungry and not have any food. I want it while I'm traveling. I want to be able to say, hey, I need a yogurt. I need something to drink. I need a coffee. I need this. My brother, my brother and his wife just went to Missouri. He went back to Missouri. He's a glutton for punishment. Went back to Missouri and he, he made this little thing for the back of his SUV where he could bring along a little propane grill and he could make coffee on the side of the road when they stopped. At the rest area. So they had their little puppy with them to go to the bathroom, let the puppy out to go to the bathroom. He could make coffee in the back of the SUV. I said, Man, that's going too far. I, I'm going to stop and just buy coffee along the way. You know, when I go on a trip, I want to have the things that I need for that trip. Why? Because I don't want to be dependent on somebody else to provide those things for me. But notice what Jesus said to his disciples He said, When you go, take your staff. That's it. Now he's very specific. Let's think about the things he told them not to give, not to bring. He said, do not bring a script. A script, that's not a word that we use very often, but it was just a leather pouch that they would use to carry food in for their journey. He said, don't bring a script at all. Obviously, he's expecting them not to bring any food for the journey. They're going to be completely dependent. And you understand in that time period, in that culture, you didn't just pull off at a Wawa or do you guys have Wawa down here? You didn't, you didn't just pull off at a Sheet's. Uh, you didn't just pull off at, at the nearest convenience store and pick up whatever you needed. You didn't swing into a Walmart and pick up the things that you forgot on your trip. Our favorite saying is, well, if we forgot it, we can always stop at Walmart. They didn't have that. They were going to be dependent on, you'll find, the generosity of the people that they are going to be ministering to. They were not to bring a script. They were not to bring bread. So they were not to prepare. They were not to bring any food to eat whatsoever. They were not to bring any money to buy any food. So they were not allowed to bring any funds at all. Boy, that would make me uncomfortable. How many of you feel like you forgot something very important if you leave the house without your cell phone? I left, I left the house the other day without my cell phone, and I thought, man, this is practically an emergency. <laughs> now, it wasn't that long ago that I didn't even have a cell phone, and I never thought about having a cell phone. I mean, whatever. I left the house, didn't think anything of it, but now I've got to have that cell phone. I've got to have that with me. Can you imagine leaving and going on a trip with really an un an indefinite amount of time and taking no money, no credit card, no funds. You're just going to go and trust the Lord to provide. That's faith. That's faith. They were to bring no staff, or they were to bring their staff and their sandals. Excuse me. They were allowed to bring their staff and their sandals. So there was a staff which they would use for walking, Their sandals, of course, would cover their feet because they were going to cover some ground. They weren't just going on a short journey. They were going to be walking for a while, and they were going to be around. You know, Jesus was making it clear, this is not going to be a short journey. You're going a distance, and you're going to be preaching. They were not to bring two coats, just one. I don't know what all the significance of that was, but, you know, I do know that often in Bible times they would carry a second coat, In case the weather got cold or in case they uh, needed some extra protection, Jesus said, only going to bring one, just one coat. It seems to be that what Jesus is teaching his disciples in these verses is, as you go, be utterly dependent upon the Lord. And remember, we're talking about the restrictions of the mission. And I want you to understand that as we go with the gospel, we are completely dependent upon the Lord. Now, I... I don't think that the scripture is teaching us that as we send out missionaries, we should tell them, don't, don't take any food, don't take any cash, don't take an extra coat. I mean, just get on the plane with whatever, whatever you have on and take your family and go and, and pray it all works out. Uh, you know, we have six families out of our church. I tell our guys, I want you to make sure that you have enough to support your family while you're there. I want to make sure that your needs are met. That's important. However, the attitude ought to be, I am completely dependent upon the Lord. I am completely dependent upon God to provide my needs. Now, that's what Jesus told them not to bring. But you'll note there that in verse 7, concerning this dependence, what Jesus gave to them, it says he gave them Power and that power specifically was over unclean spirits. Now, the use of the word power here in this verse speaks about authority. Jesus said to them, I am delegating to you my authority as you go, you are going to be representing me, and I'm giving you my power. So, Jesus said, There's some things that you do not need the material things there are some things that you most definitely need, the power of God. Do you know, as we're involved in ministry, don't we get that flipped around a lot of times? We put the most effort into being materially prepared for the ministry and very little thought and preparation into the power of God, into making sure that what we are doing is actually the mission that God wants us to be involved in that we have God's uh, mandate on that mission, if you will. So there's some restrictions that Jesus placed on this mission. But then in verses 10 and 11, we find some requirements of this mission. And in verse 10, he says this, In what place soever ye enter into an in house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you When ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So notice in the requirements of the mission, he first of all speaks to them about when they should stay. He uses the phrase there in verse 10, there abide. So what they were to do was to go into a place. And they were to seek someone who would extend hospitality to them. And if they had hospitality extended to them, they were just supposed to stay in that place. Now, preacher, I don't know about you, but that would make me so uncomfortable to go to a place where I didn't know anybody and hope that somebody would extend hospitality to me and then plan to stay in that place until they said I needed to go. That would be different. Doesn't this sound strange to our American sensibilities? This is not how we do business. When I travel, I like to know where I'm going to stay. I have an an idea where I'm going to be. You know, if there's a long trip, I know where I want to be the first day, and I have an idea where we want to stay. We've stayed in some doozies, too, Um, along the way. I told my wife, you know, I'll try to be more careful when I choose these places to stay. You have to rate them on more than just the lowest price. We'll put it that way. When to stay. There they were to abide. So the idea of entering into a house as it is in verse 10 was that there was to be an invitation. There was to be some hospitality that was extended. Now, this makes a lot more sense in the culture and in the world where Jesus and his disciples were. This was very customary during that time. But the people of the house, what Jesus is indicating is that the people of that house wanted to hear more, and they extended an invitation saying, I want to hear more about what you are saying. Now, what I want to point out about this is that this is a very humbling position for the servant of the Lord, because what this means is that the servant of the Lord is coming and really hoping that somebody is going to extend an invitation to them to stay, and then they're going to be instructing them in the truth of the gospel. But now think about that for a minute. That's also kind of a tenuous situation, isn't it? Because the minute that you say something they don't like, they can just say, this is my house, get out of here. And all of a sudden, you don't have a place to stay. You know, it is kind of like that being a preacher of the gospel, isn't it? Because you are really dependent on how is this person going to respond and and what's going to happen. We realize, for instance, today, and I was talking with one of the men last night, that people can be fickle. They might show an interest today and then tomorrow say, I don't want to hear any more about this. Or they might feign interest in the moment. And then when you go to follow them up, has this happened to any of you? They say, oh, I want to do a Bible study. And, and you call them back the next week and, and you, or, or you set up a Bible study. I remember this guy last year that I met and, and we got together. Man, he was so interested and we talked about the Lord and, and we had a great conversation. He wanted to do the first Bible study. I met him downtown. We did the first Bible study. We had a great Bible study. I thought, man, this guy's going to get saved. That was the last time I ever heard from him. He never answered my text messages. He wouldn't answer the phone calls. He never showed up for the second Bible study. Like, he dropped off the face of the earth. And that was the end of that. I still have no idea where he was. What happened to him? People can be fickle. They can show an interest, and then all of a sudden, they're not interested anymore. Sometimes they even become uh, angry with you because of what you've said. But what Jesus was saying to his disciples was, when you find a place where people are interested... You stay there and you work with them as long as they will let you work with them. You keep teaching them the truth. You keep giving them the gospel. So he told them about when to stay. By the way, that's a great ministry principle. I'm not against people saying, I believe God has called me to such and such a city and I'm going to go and I'm going to work there until something gets established. But I do see more of a scriptural principle on the side of going and sowing seed until you find some people who are interested and then investing in those people. Do you you see the difference between that? And and again, I I admire the faithfulness of a missionary who will go someplace and rent a building and start preaching usually to their family because nobody else is coming. And they might do that for a long, long time. But I also see the wisdom in saying, you know, maybe instead of starting public services for your family, we should be out there sowing seed in the community and finding people who are interested. And then when we find some people who are interested, let's devote our time and our energy and and let's give ourselves to those people and see how far that will go. Because, you know, that's the difference between going with the gospel and inviting people to come to a place. All right. You think about that. So Jesus said there was a time when they were to stay. Jesus also said there was a time when they were to go. Because in verse 11, he said, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. When they get to the place that they're not interested, if they tell you, no, I don't want to hear it, there's no reception. The people are unwilling to hear. Jesus said, what you do, men is you go and you shake the dust off of your feet. Now, again, this doesn't mean all that much to us, but this is a public display in that culture that is saying, these people have rejected the truth and and we are walking away from them now. Now we are leaving them alone because they have said they're not interested in that truth. Jesus said that when there are people who are not receptive to the truth, when the people have just disdain for the truth of God, then there's a place to shake the dust off your feet and to go on to the next place. You know, when, you, when you've when you sewed down a town, when you've knocked on every door, when you've talked to every person that you can find, and you've not found one interested person, then maybe it's time to go ahead and move to the next town and, and try there. I'm not saying that You know, you never pray for those people and never are concerned about them, but maybe God wants you to go to a different place and and find a different place to labor. Jesus told his disciples they were to shake off the dust. Now, I understand the, the calling and what Jesus was up to was unique in this case, but Jesus gave some clear instructions to his disciples that there was a time to shake the dust off. You know what I find? By the way when they shook the dust off, they were not to quit preaching. They were to go to a different place and start preaching again. And this is what I want to drive home here. Sometimes we get discouraged because somebody got upset with us and told us they didn't want to hear the truth. And we said, that's probably everybody in this whole town. I'm I'm just not going to go on visitation anymore. I'm not going to share the gospel anymore because people don't want to hear it. What people? That one guy told you he didn't want to hear anything, and then you decided that nobody else in the whole world wants to hear the gospel? I mean, as believers, we have to be able to say, okay, you're not interested. I shake the dust off my feet, but I'm going to the next place to preach the gospel to some other people. I'm not going to get discouraged. Do you know it's important for us to remember? There have always been people who will receive the word, and there have always been people who will reject the word. We we have to balance that in our mind and understand it's not an unusual or a weird thing if people reject the truth. We cannot let that discourage us from continuing to preach. It is our job to proclaim the gospel. Thus, As we preach the gospel, eventually we will find those who are willing to receive the word. God doesn't call us to make people receive the word, He calls us to preach the gospel. So as we go and we preach, then we'll find the people who are interested. You've probably had this happen here, like we do. Uh, We go into neighborhoods and we put literature on doors, and our people knock on doors and talk to people. Usually we go for a couple weeks through that same neighborhood, and we put things on the door, and we do that two weeks in a row. And then we come back through that neighborhood, and we knock on the doors, and we talk to people. We try to talk to them, share the gospel with them. And inevitably, we'll go into a neighborhood, and someone will call. Usually it's after hours, and they'll leave a message on the answering machine. You left something on my door. And I'm not happy about it. Don't you ever do it again. Do they ever tell us who they are, where they live? No. And, and we chuckle about it because how in the world are you supposed to not ever leave something on their door again? Now, every once in a while, they, they, they do tell us where they live and, and who they are. And you know what? When they tell us that, we oblige. If they don't want to see our literature... They don't want to hear anything about the Lord, we take them off our list. We, we mark them on a map, don't go back to that place. We're not going to leave anything on their door in the future. We've got a few of them marked. Very few people respond that way. But you know what? If we said, one person got mad, now we can't put out literature anywhere. We can't talk to anybody else in that neighborhood because one person got mad. You've got to be kidding me. There might be three, four hundred people that live in that neighborhood, and there's one person that's mad. So we're not going to go back to that person's house. We're not going to bother them, but we're going to talk to the other people. Jesus said, shake the dust off. There's a time when you say that's enough. And and what he wanted them to realize was that when people reject the gospel, it'd be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for those people. Man, that's a serious thing. That ought to move our heart, actually, for people who reject the gospel and don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with it. That ought to burden our hearts for them because that's a very serious thing when people set themselves against the truth of God. I've got to move along. So we see that there were some restrictions on this mission. We see some requirements on that mission. But then in verse 12, we see the realization of this mission. This is really simple, but I I can't pass it up because in verse 12, it says this, and they went out. Isn't that profound? What does that mean? They actually did it. They actually did it. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the realization of the mission involves going. Going is imperative. Imperative. You know what I find in many independent Baptist churches is we have an abundance of talking about evangelism. We have an abundance of theorizing about evangelism, about how to go with the gospel. What we don't have a whole lot of is actually going. All right, listen, we can talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. I love teaching about personal evangelism. I love talking about how to go with the gospel. I love instructing our people But at the end of the day, if I go through a whole series of messages and instruct our people about personal evangelism and nobody goes and shares the gospel, what have we done? Nothing. We've talked about it. I'm afraid in our churches we are guilty of talking things to death. The best way to learn that I've found is to go and do it. It's scary. It... it, For many people, it's way outside their comfort zone. But you know what I found? The the best way that I ever learned to share the gospel with people is when I went and shared the gospel with people. And again, I love to talk about it. I love to to read about personal evangelism. I love to study in the scriptures about it. But at the end of the day, if we don't go, we're not going to do the mission. You see, preparation takes place in the assembly. We enjoy that. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about that but we're not really completing our mission if we never go. Do you know the average American Christian has more Bible knowledge than the average pastor in many countries? Because we hear so much clear teaching of the Word of God. Uh, We were instructed in the ways of the Lord. Many of these other countries, you might have a pastor of a church, and he doesn't even have a full copy of the Bible. He's, he's never really heard much. He's, he's got a very rudimentary knowledge. So we don't really have the excuse that we're not as prepared as we ought to be. We know way more than we have to in order to share the gospel. We need to go with the gospel. There's a great need for us to go out with the gospel. We can become so much too comfortable enjoying the company of other believers. We like being around believers. We enjoy one another's company. We think the same way. We, we dress the same way. We have the same values, and we enjoy being with each other. You get out into the world and start evangelizing, you're going to find out there's people out there who are weird. They do stuff that is really different. By the way, they think you're weird, too. We are well aware of how weird we are. We go places, and people look at us. And then they count. (laughs) You can see them counting. So we taught our kids, just wave. (laughs) All right, going is imperative. Here's the truth. You could be a believer. You could be a member of a New Testament church. But if you are not actively going with the gospel, you are actually disobeying the Lord. You are disobeying the command of the Lord if you're not going with the gospel. So going is imperative. We find that there in verse number 12. They went, but as they went, what does it say? They preached. They went out and preached. Do you know it is possible to go without preaching? It is possible to go and just walk around. Preaching speaks about proclaiming. Some people are willing to go if they could just do something that they're comfortable with. For instance, people will sometimes say to me, "Well, Pastor, if I could go on a missions trip where we're going to build a house, I'm comfortable with that. You know, I'm not comfortable talking to people, but I could, I could build a house. I could build a church building. Uh, maybe, maybe, preacher, if I, if I could serve some meals to the hungry, I'm comfortable with that. I don't mind giving people some food. Uh, maybe I could help with a, a medical team and." And I could help, you know, with something where they've got medical needs. And and listen, I'm not not against those kind of things. Sometimes they they can provide great opportunities for preaching the gospel. But at the end of the day, if we don't actually preach, then we haven't completed our mission. We have to preach the gospel to people. If you advertise a church fellowship in the average New Testament church and say, we're going to have a big dinner, you all come. They're going to come. I mean, we're going to do a pig roast. We're going, to, we're going to have barbecue. We're going to have this meal. Man, they come. You say, we're going out on evangelism together. Um, my schedule's a little full tonight, preacher. Not sure I can make it. Evangelism meetings are a lot like prayer meetings. And they're not always well attended. But, you know, as believers, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I'm going to say this, and please don't be mad at me. The Lord Jesus Christ did not establish the first church and give them the great commission to have fellowship dinners. That's not what he's called us to do. Now, I love fellowship dinners as much as the next person. I enjoy the time spent together with our people, and fellowshipping around food seems to be the thing that we do as Baptists so well. But might I say that that's not our mission? God has called us to proclaim. He's called us to preach. So going is imperative and proclaiming is imperative. But then we find out that divine power is also imperative. He says it so clearly there in verse 12. They went out and they preached that men should repent. I'm just going to mention this quickly. This is not the subject of the message tonight. But repentance is still something that we should be preaching today corresponding with this guy who wants to attend our church and he's got he's all hung up on that we preach about repentance and he wants to know I don't I don't agree with that can I come and I'll, you know whatever we'll see where all that goes Here's what I think about that you can't preach the gospel without preaching that people need to repent because you can't leave them in their idolatry and trust that they're going to become followers of Jesus Christ they're going to have to turn from their sin they're going to have to turn from their idolatry if they're going to become followers of Jesus Christ. It's not popular today. It you know Everybody wants to hear a positive message, but at the end of the day, we have a responsibility to preach, to command all men everywhere to repent. So there's a need for that. But divine power is also imperative because in verse 13, it says, they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And And I don't want you to get hung up on what they were doing there. We understand, at least I trust you understand, that these are sign gifts. They were were special. Uh, It was a special season before the completion of the New Testament. These were validating the ministry of these men and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And incidentally, despite all those signs, by and large, the Jewish people are going to turn away from Jesus Christ and reject him. Those signs were actually given as a judgment upon them. But what I want you to notice in verse 13 is how did they do that? They did that through the power of God. Now, we're not going out into the community, finding people that we think are demon-possessed and having an exorcism. We're not, at least I hope you're not. (laughs) We're not trying to go out and cast out devils, and, and we're not... You know, bringing our bottle of oil and anointing people who are sick and healing them. But it is necessary that we go with the power of God. Because I'm going to say this. When you get out in the community and you start preaching the gospel, you are going to find people who are full of devils. That's not different in our generation. And you say, well, how do I deal with that? You preach the truth to them because the truth will set men free. Now... We're going to run into that. We need to make sure that we have the power of God. We need to make sure that you say, that sounds mystical and weird. It's not mystical and weird. It means we, we can't go in the power of the flesh. We can't go in our own confidence thinking we know what to do and how to handle all these situations. We have to go in dependence upon God and independence dependence upon God's wisdom and trust that what God has said is true. You know, we're going to run into people who have diseases and sicknesses, but the greatest sickness that men have is the sickness of their soul. And those physical sicknesses will give you opportunities to minister to them and show compassion to them, but the deepest needs that those people have is the fact that they are estranged from God. And they need to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's a realization of this mission because these men obeyed Christ. If we do not obey the Great Commission, we will not see the Great Commission completed. If we do not do what Jesus has commanded us to do, we cannot expect to stand before him one day and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There is a need for us to actually do what God has called us to do. But then something that's very interesting in verse number 30, and we skipped that section in between, I'll say something about that in a moment, is the report on the mission. They went, we don't know how long they were gone, and they came back. And they came back in verse 30, and the Bible says, they gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and they told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. And this indicates to us they had some accountability. There was some responsibility to Jesus for what they were doing and what they were teaching. And they came back to Jesus, and the, the uh, implication here is that they were excited. Did you ever come back from a time when you were evangelizing and maybe you had some good conversations with somebody You had some opportunities to really talk to somebody who had some spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. How do you come back from that? Man, I'm excited. By the way, there is, I don't think there's anything more exciting in the Christian life than being involved in sharing the truth of the gospel with people. Because when you start to see that God is working in someone's life and that He's been working in their life before you ever got there and now God allowed you to cross paths with them and you start sharing the gospel with them and they're hungry and they're interested and and you think, man, this is awesome. I'm part of what God is doing. And He invited me to participate in that. That's exciting. And these guys came back and they said to Jesus, you'll never believe what happened. We were casting out devils and we were healing people They were excited. So they came and they gathered to Jesus. It was Jesus who had sent them. It was Jesus who had empowered them. And it was Jesus who received all the glory for everything that had happened. And when they returned, they came back to the one who had sent them. And they told him all things. You know, when we go as a church and evangelize, it's exciting. It's exciting on Sunday morning we have a men's prayer meeting before the morning uh, Sunday school hour and the morning service. And in our men's prayer meeting, we really try to focus on evangelism and who are we sharing the gospel with. And I'll tell you, a lot of times I'm, I'm headed to Sunday school, and I'm just excited. Because these men are saying, "I witnessed to this coworker, and I witnessed to this family member, and I witnessed to this person on, on visitation." Pray for them. This person said they were interested in a Bible study, and I'm excited about that. And man, I'm excited because they're excited, and we have a prayer time, and we say, "Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in the world." You see, there is great joy. there, there is a wonderful fellowship that we can share when we are involved in the work of evangelism together. Just a couple weeks ago, our teenagers went to South Africa, and they spent about 10 days there with three of our missionaries. I think most of you know my parents live in South Africa. My brother and sister-in-law live in South Africa. They're in the same town. And then uh, Gary and Michelle Kastner live in Botswana, which is a neighboring country about six hours away. And so our three missionaries partnered together. My brother George was primarily the one who is organizing everything and putting it together. And our teenagers went over there, and in the mornings, my dad instructed the group in evangelism, okay? How do you, especially cross-cultural evangelism, how do you connect with people, and how do you introduce the gospel, and how do you ask them questions, and how do you, how do you uh, be polite in Africa, you know, because we're Americans, and we do things that they don't understand. So he talked to them about some of those things, some scriptural principles. Then they went out during the day, and they went house to house in some of the villages, and they just talked to people and asked them spiritual questions and and had opportunities to share the gospel with them, and then they did some other things while they were there. In the evenings, Brother Kastner was preaching and challenging them about the Great Commission. And I'll tell you, our teenagers came back, and they gave testimonies, and they were excited. They were excited because many of them had had opportunities to sit down with somebody and share the gospel with them. And for them, frankly, it was a new thing. Many of them had never done that before. They had been intimidated to do that here in the U.S., and and they had this opportunity. and, And many of them said this, I'm going to be more involved in evangelism now here because I am so excited about what God is doing. And by the way, that's why we sent them. We wanted them to go and get that vision. But see, there was an excitement. And then our church family is excited. Then some of our uh, adults are saying, man, we want to go on a missions trip too. We want to go and talk to people and we want to share the gospel with them. And so that's a wonderful thing. See, we fellowship together. There's an excitement. There's a joy. And and the disciples told Jesus in verse 30 what they had done. They they shared with the the Lord what they had done. And I just want to say this about that. Going with the gospel is not for the lazy man. Going with the gospel requires a great deal of work. I have a friend who is an insurance salesman. And in the insurance industry, the numbers are something like 10 rejections for every sale. And he's told me before, the hardest thing about selling insurance is dealing with the rejection. If you can deal with the fact that 9 out of 10 are not going to be interested, you can actually be really successful because you can understand the numbers and realize if I need this many sales, I have to call this many people. I have to talk to this many people. You know, it's not that dissimilar in the work of sharing the gospel. It's hard when people aren't interested when you get a lot of rejections and a lot of people just say, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Nobody's interested anymore. Well, no, it's not that nobody's interested anymore. It's just that you haven't kept looking long enough. You got to keep on preaching the gospel. Keep on pressing forward. You'll find the people who are interested down the road, but see, it takes hard work. You and I have to invest some effort if we're going to share the gospel. We've got to get out there. We've got to, we've got to make sure that we're uh, willing to pass out a track to somebody, to ask a spiritual question, to, to pray with somebody who has a need. And, boy, there's so many opportunities for us to be able to be witnesses for Christ, what they had done and what they had taught. You see, they had an accountability to Jesus concerning what they had taught. They, they were giving an answer to Jesus about the things that they had instructed these people about. It wasn't up to them to just say whatever they wanted to say. They needed to make sure that they were sharing the truth. And as we go, we need to be really mindful about our message. We need to make sure that the message we are sharing is the truth. I, listen, we can't just go out there and tell people, just have faith and everything will be okay. We need need something deeper than that. We can't just tell people, well, pray this little prayer and everything will work out. No, we need to instruct them in the gospel so that people can understand their responsibility before God and what Jesus Christ has done for them. Then if they get saved, we need to instruct them in all things. We need to teach them, disciple them. And so there's a great need for the report on the mission. And oftentimes, you know, when missionaries come back from the field, they, they have a need to share with their church family what, what they've experienced and what it's been like and the people that they've worked with. And, and they want you uh, to know their names and the people that they're concerned about. And, and of course, you know, you keep up with that with their prayer letters and, and so on, but there's a need for them to report. We don't have time to go to Acts chapter 13 and see how Paul and Barnabas did exactly that when they came back from their first missionary journey. Number five, in verse 31, and I'll be really brief with this, there was a rest that took place after the mission. Being involved in gospel work is tiring. It's exhausting. You know, what I find is that oftentimes if I go with the gospel into a neighborhood and I spend time, there's going to be spiritual resistance but a lot of times I'm going to encounter people who have deep spiritual needs. But sometimes I come back and I'm just tired. I'm, I'm worn out because people have asked me questions and they've, they, they're struggling with things. And, you know, they've got family problems, health problems and financial problems and all of these things that are just weighing them down and cumbering them down. And, and they, they in some cases they unload them on people who have a concern and a compassion for them. The disciples came back and they were tired. And in verse 31, Jesus said to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. You know, there is a need for us to part from the multitudes. There is a need for us to come apart for a while. I think, personally, that's the function of the assembly. We, we come together. Some of my men will say this to me, Pastor, it's so good to be in church on a Wednesday night to hear the preaching. I've had some of my men say, I feel so dirty sometimes when I come in, being in the workplace and, and subjected to all those things out there. And then I come into this place and I hear the word of God being taught and it's so refreshing and it's so helpful and it encourages me. And I understand that. You know, there is a need for us at times to come apart from the multitude. There is such an abundance of need for the gospel to be proclaimed that it is undeniable we could stay busy 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until we die, and we would never run out of people to share the gospel with. But we do also have to be mindful of the fact that we need to be recharged, that we need to, at times, come apart from the work. Our missionaries struggle with this sometimes. Pastor... I got to come home for a furlough. It just seems like things are getting going and and I got to come home. But you know what? That furlough isn't for them. It's important for them to be recharged. It's important for them to come back and be reconnected with their church family, to sit under some preaching and be encouraged and be helped from the word of God. You and I need to take time In the midst of the work that God has called us to do, we need to take time to recharge our spiritual batteries, to rest physically, to take care of our own body and make sure that we're not overtaxing ourselves. The man who is too busy ministering to look after his own house and his own spiritual nourishment will not be ministering for very long. Jesus understood this and he helped his disciples to understand that. He said, you need to rest a while. Now... I will point out, they didn't rest very long. They went apart and the multitude followed them and they were into a season of ministry pretty quick. And I just want to dwell for a moment on that a while. Because it does seem like in our generation, we put a little too much emphasis on rest and not very much emphasis on a while. Some people have been resting for 20 years. And it's time to get back to the work. Rest we find this in the Scripture, should be purposeful, it should be planned, and rest should lead us into more ministry. Rest should prepare us for the next step of ministry. It should be uh, that just which, which gives us what we need for the next thing that God wants us to do, which was exactly what Jesus was helping His disciples to understand. Come apart and rest for a while, but another season of ministry was coming right on the heels of that, and these men were going to be back and busy in the work. You see, there is a great work that God has called us to do. That work requires our attention. That work requires our attendance. It requires our involvement. And and every one of us should be asking the question tonight, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to take a step of faith? I regularly challenge our church family in the area of evangelism. And for some people who are, let's just be blunt, they're not obedient to the Lord. They're not evangelizing. And for them, the idea of going and knocking on somebody's door and having a conversation with a complete stranger is absolutely outside of the possibilities of their mind. And so I, I challenge them, well, why don't you come and go along with somebody? Who's going to talk? Or why don't you come and we're going to hand out some literature? It's going to be minimal talking, but you're going to be involved in putting some literature out and praying for those homes. You know what? For most of us, we need to figure out what is the step of faith that I can take? Where is the place that I can be obedient to the Lord? Now, don't sell yourself short because you're probably, you probably find it's possible to do more than you ever imagined. And I guarantee this, once you get involved in this, what I call the greatest adventure of the Christian life, you'll never want to go back. You'll never want to stop sharing the gospel with people because all of a sudden you start to realize that God is at work in this world. That... Oh, the days are dark and we're in the the last times, no doubt about it. But our God is still working in this world. He is still drawing men to salvation. You get involved in people's lives and you start to realize that there are a lot more people out there who are interested in the gospel or at least curious about the gospel than you had ever imagined. God is working and he wants us to be involved in that work if we will only be obedient To go and to preach. Tonight, I leave you with this question What would the Lord have you to do?